Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together this morning. Man, what a week we've had. A lot of snow. It's good to have you here this morning with us. Um, and if you uh, have a bulletin, there's some notes inside. You can follow along in our lesson. We've been looking at the names, uh, or basically at names, and what are, they, what are they for? And Jesus calls Himself a lot of different things. And today we're going to look at uh, this, this way He identifies Himself as the Great Physician. Before we get into this lesson, just a couple of things to let you know about. Uh, there is a daddy-daughter dance this uh, Friday night, I believe it is. Right? Am I right? Yeah. Here in our small dome, we're going to transform into a ballroom. And there's some details in your bulletin about that. And I want to remind you of the Hot Wheels rally. We're, we're kicking that back in and getting ready for that as well. We've already had a few meetings. We'll be transforming the inside of this auditorium into a drag strip with a track that's over 50 feet long. So we're looking forward to uh, having some fun with that. Um, in ancient, the, in the ancient world, uh, there were no hospitals or no clinics that you can think of. Okay, they didn't have that, but they did have doctors, lots and lots of different physicians. And though they're not mentioned very much in the scriptures, they were everywhere. And uh, one of the things I think is interesting about about ancient medicine is is that a uh, there's an assumption out there that if the further back you go, the more ridiculous the cures are or how little we really knew about diseases. Um, I'm not trying to say, make a political statement here, but I think we're having trouble understanding diseases today, okay? Uh, and, and yet, uh, it, it's a complicated thing. And yes, there were crazy, there were crazy uh, remedies and medicines and ointments uh, when you look at ancient uh, medical practices, but there's a few things they did get right and we still practice today. For example, quarantine is, was, was practiced back in the Old Testament and uh, it's still an effective tool we use today. Uh, in fact, we're still going through some social distancing or staying at home uh, during this COVID uh, pandemic. Also, sanitation was, was, was practiced by the way, it was practiced before American doctors practiced it in the United States. Hand washing and sanitation was a big, big practice. Did you know they didn't start, doctors didn't start washing their hands in the United States until 1930s? It was controversial. Uh, and the way they, they, they saw there was a link between doctors doing autopsies and then working on somebody that's alive and getting sick. You'd have thought they'd have figured that out long before. Uh, also, salves and ointments, uh, they used those throughout the Old Testament and in ancient medical, uh, by the way, not just Jewish, but in also pagan society, they used these kinds of treatments and stuff. I, I thought it was interesting that uh, the idea of penicillin, we know Louis Pasteur uh, labeled and discovered or labeled it penicillin, but in ancient times, they learned that there were some molds had something in it. They didn't call it penicillin. They didn't know what to call it. They just noticed it helped people. It helped them with ailments. Another thing I noticed as I was doing some just background check uh, about how ancient the ancient world uh, worked when it comes to medicine was that the the ancient world also connected uh, our health and religion, or medicine and religion. They were connected. But many believe that illness was connected to sin. And uh, there is some of that still today when you stop and think about it. If you smoke a lot, if you drink too much, if you drive stupid, 
You know, you say, are those sins? Well, make up your mind. And all I know is that doctors will tell us what happened and we tell them, well, I was being stupid. Stop doing that. That's what they'll say to us, okay? And so that, but there's this link of that. And, and many believe that there, since the fall of man, we have been dealing with disease and death. And you think about it, in the Garden of Eden, there was no one sick and there was no one dying. It wasn't until after sin was come to this world. So it's no surprise that healing, this idea of remedies and curing and healing was a part of the ministry of Jesus when He came to this earth. It just makes sense. Look at this passage up on the screen. It's not in your notes, but here it is up on the screen in Matthew 4. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So He's out teaching about teaching the will of God, teaching about the kingdom, and He's healing people at the same time. Now, we generally, this is the thing is, we generally associate healing with physical illness. And that's, well, yeah. But Jesus came more to heal, to do more than heal physical illness. He was after some other ills and some other ailments, that, some spiritual diseases that cause so much dis-ease in our life. He came to heal those as well. Look at this passage here. After Jesus is told he's, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, look what He says. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And He's using these words, heal and sick, um, and, and as a jumping off point, you could say, to describe another disease, a spiritual disease and a spiritual remedy. And he says, I come for that. I come to do that. And so he calls himself a doctor. And we, we call him the great physician. We've heard people refer to Jesus as the great physician. What's, why is Jesus such a good doctor? Well, he possesses the traits of a good doctor. Let's look at those, okay? Here's the first trait. A good doctor sees me as I am. Psalms 139, the psalmist said this, Lord, you've examined me. You know all about me. I read this. I thought it was interesting. It says, lawyers see people at their worst. Ministers see people at their best. And doctors, well, they see people as they really are. And you stop and think about it. That's true. Because when you go see the doctor, you you may have to be stripped down so he can examine you, right? And doctors aren't looking at what you do for a living or the house you live in or the title you may have or the awards you've won. They're not seeing all that. They just see you in all your natural glory is what we would maybe say. Okay. I remember uh, I had a hernia years ago. I was a young man had a hernia. And I had to go to the doctor. And um, he says, I, I, couldn't, I, I was walking around the zoo and, and I couldn't walk very far. I had to sit down. And I felt good sitting down, but I stood up. I felt awful. And Denise goes, oh, you're just being a whiner. I said, no, Denise, there's something wrong. I don't know what it is. So we go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, Tim, you have a hernia. I said, okay. So what do we do? And he said, well, we need to make an appointment. You come in and get it repaired. Sounds like a body shop, you know. <laughs> Den and fender repair. So I said, okay, well, when do we do that? We need to do it as soon as possible. Oh, really? Yeah, you need to get it as soon as possible. So I schedule an appointment. And I fill out all the paperwork and 
he's, uh, they, they uh, get me prepped. I go in early like we always do, right? And they put on this, they said, Mr. Gill, put this gown on. And this gown was, it was for a large person, okay? It could have wrapped around me twice. You know, anybody got one of the, had one of those gowns before? You go, what is the deal? Yeah. And so I put, I have it on and I'm like, you know, here they come poking on me and talking to me and getting me ready for the surgery. And then they wheel me into this room that looks like a scene from Alien. I mean, it's the craziest looking room I've ever seen and it's cold. And, they go, and so the anesthesiologist says, okay, Mr. Gill, we're going to, uh, we're, you know, going to start applying some, uh, anesthetic. And I said, okay. And he goes, all right, so what I'm going to do is I'll, it's going to go in stages. And so I'm going to give you this injection through this IV and, uh, I'll be talking to you through the process. I said, okay, no problem. So he puts the first one in. He goes, can you hear me just fine, Tim? I said, well, yeah, I hear you just fine. He goes, okay, well, I'm getting ready to do the second one now. You ready? Yeah. And he does the second one, and the room does this. And I go, oh, that was cool. What is that? He goes, can you hear me, Tim? I go, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? It sounded like he was like out the door. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you, Tim. I'm getting ready to do the third one now. You ready? Yeah. Tim, can you hear me? And I go, yeah, I can hear you. And I'm yelling. At least on the inside. The nurse was telling me, Tim, it was so funny. He asked you that third question, and your response was, <laughs> and so they, and, and they do whatever they do for hernia surgery. I've not watched any YouTubes. I'm not interested. And then I get back to, you know, I'm in recovery and I wake up, I guess groaning. You groan, I guess, before you actually wake up because the nurses, you okay, honey? Everything okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, we're going to get you back in your room. And I go, get me back in my room and I'm laying there and everybody's gone. And I notice the gown is shrunk. I mean, it's like barely around, you know? Cheeks are hanging out, folks. It's sad. I had to get up and walk around and the nurse is there and I'm going, I'm going, what's the deal? And she leaves and I sit back and I get back and get all settled down and it occurs to me, they've changed gowns. They took that one off to work on me. There I was just in my birthday suit. That's a, doctors see us as we are, right? They just see us as we are. They know all about us. Look at this next verse. It's interesting what it says. The Bible says here in Hebrews, everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. When I was a kid, I thought it was so cool that the word naked was in the Bible, you know. Now I understand what they're talking about. Everything's exposed before his eyes, who we give an account to. Why? Because he's a good doctor. And in order to help us, he has to see everything. And so he sees you and I as a, as we really are. You can't hide from a good doctor. You just can't. That's the first trait. Second trait is a good doctor accurately diagnoses my condition. I mean, when you need a doctor, a good doctor, when you need a good doctor, and I, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when you're looking for a good doctor, you want one that knows what he's doing, right? You want the ambulance coming to his door, not the hearse. Am I right? Of course. And you want one that knows what he's doing. When you see that diploma on the wall, you don't want to see a Mickey Mouse head over here in the corner. You want to see, you know, not Bubba's medical euphorium, but something credible on the wall. 
there's a there's a, a group called the BMJ Quality and Safety Journal, and they they come out with these these reports on a regular basis. In 2014, they said this as a press release: 12 million American adults. That's one in 20. Five percent now. Five percent are misdiagnosed in outpatient clinics every year. Five percent. Why? Why does that happen? Well, there's a list. They give a list, and here's a few on that list. One is limited time. A doctor, you ever notice you wait an hour, but you only see the doctor about ten minutes? Am I close? Yeah, what is that? You know, it's like you didn't have time. I read a statistic that said the average doctor listens 11 seconds before he speaks. And because of this limitation, it's hard to get to the, to the real diagnosis. Also, it could be limited resources. Maybe they don't have testing equipment or they don't have access to testing equipment. And that gets the diagnosis wrong. And then there's limited information. Maybe they don't get the background, the total history. Notice how your doctors are always asking, so let's look at your family history. Do you have any history of high blood pressure in your family? Do you have any history of heart attacks or strokes? Or And, and they keep asking these, why? Because it helps them gauge and figure out where they're, they're, going, they're going to look. And so like a good doctor now, Jesus knows everything about me and He can clearly see what's wrong with me. He can, he can diagnose the problem accurately. I love this here. And here's a passage here in uh, Luke chapter 5. And I want you to see Jesus is recognizing the real condition in the room while everybody else is looking at something else. It says, One day when Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there, they're in this house and the place is packed. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. And if you remember, that, if you look at this story, some friends bring a guy that's paralyzed and they can't get in the, 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 the house so they dig a hole in the roof and lower him right in front of Jesus and go, there you go. Try to ignore that, that, you know, buddy. And, and so, and notice it says here, when he saw, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees first, right off the bat, Who's that guy think he is forgiving sins? I got a feeling the friends are thinking, what's that got to do with our problem? Jesus, this guy's legs don't work. He can't, he can't even live. Don't you see that? Because he can't, he can't do it because, because his legs are messed up. He need, you need to heal his legs. Well, Jesus sees more than paralyzed legs. He sees a life that's in trouble. And he wants to heal a life. Not just legs. I found this interesting as I was again researching for this particular lesson about the word "save." You've heard people say the word "Are you saved?" and the Jesus came to save us. And the the word "save" is in the New Testament all over the place, as well as in the Old Testament. What's interesting to me about this word "save" or "saved" is another way. This particular word also means to heal and restore. So salvation is really about healing our greatest illness. Our greatest ailment. Sin. We see this in, in uh, the account of Zacchaeus. When Jesus is uh, asked to, to go to Zacchaeus' house, he meets him, you know, and Zacchaeus is a tax collector. And they go to the house, and as they're, as they're at the house, you know, they're, and they're eating and talking, Zacchaeus just stands up and says, hey, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor, 
and I'm going to, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to reimburse them four times whatever I cheated them. And Jesus says these words, today is the day for this family to be saved from sin. Yes, even this tax collector is one of God's chosen people. And look what he says here. The Son of Man came to find lost people and save them. Zacchaeus, are you sick? No, I can walk just fine and I can see and I can hear. I'm just fine. Jesus says, no, you're not. You're sick with something else. And it's people like you I've been looking for. See, he had a, Zacchaeus had a problem with cheating people and greed. He had a problem with deceit. And Jesus says, I want to heal that. A very selfish person. I want to make you well again. I want you to be a generous person. Is he blind? Blind to his own self? Yeah. Blind to his life. And Jesus said, I want to open your eyes about yourself. See, Jesus has the cure of man's, of our's greatest disease. He has that cure. So like a good doctor, he's able to accurately diagnose that. He's not fooled by other things. Here's a third thing a good doctor is. Another trait. He wants me to get well. I found this, found this fascinating. Again, every sick person Jesus faced, he healed. Check it out. Everyone. Why? <laughs> he wanted to. He just wanted to. There's an example. Here's some, as a leper. And he, he runs up to Jesus. It says here, suddenly a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have the power to heal me if you really want to. Verse 3, Jesus reached out His hand and touched the leper and said, of course I want to heal you. Be healed. And instantly all the signs of leprosy disappeared. As I was looking at this passage, I couldn't help but think about all the different diseases that Jesus faced and encountered while on this earth. Can you think of a few? Blindness? Deafness? A woman who has had a period nonstop for 12 years. These are some of these amputations, insanity, mental illness, leprosy, convulsions, deformities, paralysis. He even, he even encountered a dead body or two that one was decomposed. How gross is that? I couldn't help but think about all the things that Jesus saw that would turn our stomachs. I don't know. I have a weak stomach. I can't even stand the sight of my own blood, let alone anybody else's. My wife is cool as a cucumber. We can come across something that's gross and she's like, what is that? And I'm going, no, no. She sticks her nose in the stuff that's gross. (sighs) Me, I can smell it this far. I don't need to smell it. You want to smell it? No, get away. She she used to be a respiratory therapist and she'd come home in the middle of dinner and tell us about, tell me about stuff like, yeah, we had a person come in in a car accident and then go through the gross details and my appetite was just gone. That's what I noticed about Jesus. He has this ability that, and how could he stand this? It's because he's a good doctor and good doctors learn how to ignore the things that turn their stomach Ignore the repulsive things to provide a remedy. 
I don't know, I, I notice this about doctors. Most of them that I've met, it's hard to gross them out. I'm sure there's some. But most doctors that I've been around, they don't seem grossed out when they see something, you know, grossy. Okay? You know, I, I remember when Matthew was born, and we had a, Denise, we had a C-section. She had the C-section. We didn't, but she did. And I got to go in. First time, I didn't get to with Nathan. Even though I'd watched the films, I thought I was qualified. They didn't let me go in. So the second time, I get to go in. And I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, I think you guys should have kept me out in the waiting room. Man, this is weird. And they're, you know, they start doing the C-section. I can't even talk about it. It's, 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 I kept looking at her going, do you feel anything? She goes, no, why? Yeah. And they're just moving and pulling and yanking. And, and here she is laying there looking at me going, what's going on, Tim? And I'm going, no. Oh. You don't know what's going on now. I'm not telling you. And I'm getting kind of dizzy. And then here comes Matthew. The doctor's got him. And he brings him up to me. and goes, isn't this awesome? And I'm going, no, it's scary. He looks like a lizard. He's got mucus and blood. and It's gross. I don't want to be a doctor. If I had any thoughts of it, which were a few, that killed the rest of them. I'm like, but that's what I notice about doctors. I asked, I asked Matthew one time, because he worked in the ER, and some of you here have probably done some ER, some of you nurses. I said, how are you able to do this? Because I just think that would, I mean, the things that you tell me you see, gunshots, broken arms, you know, bones sticking out, overdoses, all kinds of foaming at the mouth, convulsions. I'm like, I would panic. How do you do that? And he said, well, Tim, well, Dad, I, I guess, all right. He said it this way to me. He goes, I guess we kind of just learn to condition ourselves to not focus on that because we're trying to focus on the treatment. And uh, I said, oh, you emotionally detach yourself from everyone. And he goes, I don't know if that's always true. I had a doctor one time, Dr. Tom Hansen, we were very good friends, and he was had a private practice. He wanted to be a, an ER. He was going to go into the ER, and, and he was saying, I'm wrestling with a decision, Tim. I'm frightened. I said, what are you frightened of? He goes, I'm frightened that if I take an ER job at Jerseyville or Alton or if I go to Maryville, which they would have me going to these three places, that I'm going to, you're going to come in, and I don't know what I'll do. And I looked at him, I said, but Tom... If I had to go to the ER, I'd want you to be the doctor. If that's how you feel. Look at this passage here. Uh, and again, I, I, the doctor wants me to get, well, look at this passage here. Um, I don't, well, no, you don't have it. Let me just read it to you. It says, when Jesus uh, landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. So Jesus, he really wants to heal people. He wants to help people. He wants them well. Now, the reason I say all that is because there's other things that Jesus saw and encountered that I'm afraid turn our stomach to. And it may not be blood. Because He ran into people that were immoral. He ran into people that cheated people, that lied. Greedy people, insane people, poor people. 
drunks, people relapsed, odd people, outcasts. See, I have to admit, and maybe you do too, there's things that turn our stomach besides the blood and the gore. I noticed, it, it revealed something to me. See, I, I remember going to a, an emergency room. I, had a, I got a call. You need to come up and uh, we, this woman's asking for you. So I go to the emergency room not knowing what to expect. I get there and there's this, this woman that had been attending Greater Alton and she is sitting there in, a, in, a, in the emergency room uh, one of those little cubicles, and and she just sad and down. I said, "What's going on?" She goes, "Oh, I had a relapse, Tim. I've had a relapse." And and she just so down herself, beating herself up. And I'm sitting there trying to think, what am I going to say to her? What can I say to her? And here comes the nurse in. And I'm not trying to indict the medical profession. It just happened to be the bedside manner of this nurse. I found surprising at least initially. She is short with this woman. You okay? Anything fine? Here's, here's, here's a cup, here's a pill. Out she goes. I'm like, what is that all about? What I found out was is that there's not a lot of respect for people who relapse in the hospital. I asked my son one time, he was telling me about this, that, that sometimes at DePaul, they had these people that kept coming in, you know, and they called them frequent flyers. Is that a term that, okay, is that a term nurses? Okay. And do I understand what that means? Is that they keep coming back and coming back and they have, and they sometimes use the ER. I need drugs or I need something. And I'm going to tell you, that's got to be challenging to handle. But what that nurse exposed to me was my problem with frequent flyers. My, it wasn't frequent flyers that were relapsing on drugs, but frequent flyers that come to church for a while, get better, and then leave, screw up, come back, same old, same old, and they think I should just treat them like everything's fine. Now, why would they expect that? Because a good doctor does. Because he's focused on the cure and the remedy. Years ago I heard this statement. The church is a hospital for sinners, not a hotel for saints. And I just wonder if you've got the same problem I've got with frequent flyers. Oh, they hurt me. They lied to me. I was reminded of this just yesterday when I encountered someone that used to attend here, found myself wrestling with how do I deal with them because they've been, they've been so hurtful to the church, to me, to others. And I'm like, what would Jesus do? Well, what did Jesus do with the critics that He ran into that were always there? What did He do with the people who just didn't know how to even... Stay faithful. What, did he, what, did, what does Jesus do with the people that you and I tend to write off? Well, that's a challenge, huh? I'm just so glad that, that I want to be like this doctor. 
Because Jesus wants you and I to get well so desperately. And those frequent flyers. And by the way, you might want to check your tickets. I bet you you and I are frequent flyers all the time. We screw up. Oh, we may, we may still keep coming to church, but we have to go to the Lord, don't we? And say, I'm so sorry, Lord, I messed up there again. It happened. I can't believe it. It'll never happen again. It happened again. And what's he do? What's this good doctor do? What's the great physician do? He tries to help me get well. There's the fourth thing about a good doctor is he'll risk his life to save mine. How many nurses and medical people, would you all stand up, please? Stand up for a second. I know some of you here put yourself in harm's way with COVID. You've been doing that now. This is your third year, am I right? We call you heroes. Are they, church? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can be seated. I think about, I just think about, you put yourself in that environment every day. Why? Because you're about getting people well. Look at this passage in 1 Peter. Peter said this about Jesus. Christ carried our sins. Does this say in His body? Carried my sins. And did He catch what I had? He took it. He carried it. He did this so that we'd stop living for sin and start living for what is right. Sounds like a cure. And then He goes, and we are healed because of His wounds. Where'd you get those? Where'd you get those wounds from? I got them from you, Tim. I got them from helping you. I had to put myself into your world, into your situation, because I wanted you to be healed. So how how can I be cured by the great physician? That's what I want to wrap this lesson up with. How how do you and I, and how do others get cured? If we're a hospital for sinners, then we need, to, we need to have a staff meeting, huh? And kind of cover this. We want people to know this. And it starts with me. First, I plan regular checkups. If I want, want the cure from the great physician, I plan regular checkups. Now, I've learned this over the years. Good doctors are useless if I refuse them access. <laughs> We're surrounded by great doctors, great medical people, but if I don't go see them, I'm not going to get any help. I thought this was an interesting statistic. A third of Americans do not go see their doctor. I want to follow that up with, hmm, a third of Americans don't get any cures. (laughs) They don't get any help. So it just stands to reason if I really want to get well and I want others to get well, I've got to get myself or those around me to the great physician. Look at this in Psalms 139. God, I invited your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. You know, David's saying, I'm opening myself up to you, Lord. Even the hidden stuff. I know there's someone in this audience, or what, uh, I'm sorry, she's not in this audience, that was in a car accident, and when she got examined for the car accident, they discovered she had cancer. It was hidden. 
Thank God she got in a car accident, huh? And so when I open my heart, when I open my heart up to God and say, Lord, examine me. Look, look at everything. Check it out. Like I would if I want help from a good doctor. He's going to need that. Then, then he, can, he can diagnose and he can help me and find the remedy. One of the things that I think a lot of times happens, and, I, and I, I, this is something that we get into the habit of, we think we can cure ourselves. In church, there are some things we just we can't cure. We, no amount of self-help is going to work. It won't help. We need His help. Another book on, you know, how to suck it up, Buttercup is not is not going to suffice. Sometimes, I'm not saying that there's nothing about you know, something about responsibility and things of that nature. But if I, there are this disease with sin, I cannot help myself out of. And so I need to plan these checkups with God and open up to God and open up His Word. Because he will find not only the cause, but the cure. Number two. So I plan regular. Number two. I tell God everything. Pretty simple, you think about it. I want help from the great physician. <laughs> tell him everything. I mentioned earlier three causes of, 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 uh, of uh, misdiagnosis. And one of them was limited information. I know sometimes it's embarrassing and intimidating and frightening to talk to the doctor. Am I the only one? So what's up, Tim? Well, I kind of hurt. Where? Can you narrow it down? I'm afraid you're going to ask me to undress if I do that. Well, what's the problem? Oh, I'm having trouble with, you know. Well, what is it, Tim? Is it, is it eating? No. If it's not eating, is it excreting? You're getting warm. There's just some topics that's hard to talk to, even to a doctor about, because it's embarrassing, it's frightening. And the thing is, keeping it inside doesn't make it any better. And that's how it is with the Lord too. If I really want, if I want to get well, I have to be able to, to take that that brave step and tell him to get it out in the open. In Psalms 32, David said this, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it all out. I said, I'll come clean about my failures to God. Suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin Disappeared. You see, healing takes place when it's, it follows full disclosure. When I can get it, when I'm able to talk about this, and you say, well, yeah, I'll talk to God privately. Can I encourage you and just prod you to even talk about other hospital staff in the kingdom? Look at this passage of James 5. Tell your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. Getting it out there and talking about it so we can pray about it, so we can, we can ask God, let's get this healed. So I make an appointment on a regular basis. 
I tell God everything. And the third thing is I trust God's prognosis. Doctors give a diagnosis and they give a prognosis. And what I understand, there's a difference. They sound the same, but they're a little bit the same, but they're different. And we can get them confused. Diagnosis means this is where you are. Prognosis is this is where you could go. This is what could happen. And it's trusting God's prognosis that's so important. See, Jesus wants you to know how it is, but He wants you to know how it could be. And that's what a good doctor will do. And see, He'll give you these options. Or He'll say, this is what's in front of you. And you decide. In John 5, it's funny, Jesus has run into a guy that's been an invalid. He's, he's been an invalid for 38 years. He learns that this guy has been trying to get to this pool that's supposed to heal people, the first person to touch it, and he'll be healed. And so he, he learns this guy's been this way for almost 40 years. And so he walks up to him and he says, do you want to get well? Which, uh, no, I like to, no, of course, maybe he's, maybe he's lost hope in that sense. And he, and he goes, do you want to get well? And he goes, yeah, I would, but I have no one to help me. I'd love to get well. But there's nobody that can help me. And he says, well, get up, take up your mat and walk. And the man picks up his mat and walks. He's healed. Jesus was there to help him. And the Bible says here in John 5 later, it says, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see you are well again. I never didn't notice that till this morning. See you are well again. There was a time when he wasn't an invalid. How old is this guy? All I know is is that now his condition, there's the diagnosis from the great physician, you're well again. But look what he says to him. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What could be worse than 38 years being an invalid? A lot of things. A lot of things. And so Jesus gives him this prognosis. He says, stop sinning. Like a doctor, stop smoking or this is going to happen. Stop drinking or this is going to happen. Stop eating those Big Macs, Tim, or this is going to happen. You need to start exercising. You need to start eating better. You need more fruits and vegetables. You need to, you need to do this. Your cholesterol is too high. You need to lower it by doing this. The doctor gives a prognosis. The question is, do I trust it? Will I trust it? The CDC reported this. They reported that 50% of the prescriptions that are given are never filled. 50%? 50%. This results in 125,000 deaths every year. 10% of hospitalizations are caused by people not taking the medicine. I'm not a big medicine taker, not because of religious reasons. I just don't take a lot of medicine. $300 $300 billion in health care costs. It costs the health care. You want to know why your insurance premiums are going up? You want to know why it's so expensive to get medical help? Because people won't take the prognosis. Let me give you some reasons why people don't listen to their doctor and they don't take their prescription. One, it's too expensive. And by the way, you might find a spiritual flavor to what I'm ready to share with you. It's too expensive. And that's a real problem in America, isn't it? 
Some of this medicine is way too high. Another one is forgetfulness. I just forget. Not a priority. Personal opinion is, a, is another cause, a leading cause for people not trusting a prognosis of a good doctor. They think, you know, I think I know another way. I saw something on the internet I think will work better than what you're asking me to do. Nah. Another one, I don't see the purpose of it. In other words, I just don't see why that's so important. That's because you didn't go to medical school. Okay, that's why. Okay. Ugh. Side effects. That's another one. I don't like. I don't like the side effects. Embarrassment. Another cause. A leading cause. What do you mean, embarrassment? I don't want people to know I'm having to take this. I'm embarrassed to have to use this pill for that, or have to go and exercise now in front of people, or not be able to eat like I'm used to. And another one, a very popular one is, I feel okay now. I really don't feel like it's necessary. I feel pretty good. You see any spiritual parallels to any of these? I mean, this I, again, I look at this passage here uh, where he says, stop or something worse can happen to you. I'm trying to imagine... This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, giving this guy advice. This is not somebody on this that's still you know, that's can't walk either. Going, All right, let me tell you what you ought to do. This is the Christ, the Messiah, died, resurrected, brought people out of tombs, made them walk, made them see, and he said, "You know, take my advice." You think this guy took his advice? Do you take the Lord's advice? Are you adhering to the Lord's prognosis? And they're everywhere in Scripture. Let me give you a couple. Here's up on the screen, Matthew 10. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it up for me, you'll find it. There's prognosis there, isn't there? You need to go this way or this way. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Pretty plain, isn't it? They're all over the Scripture. Jesus gives these prognoses. And it's almost like He's saying, you get to choose. Because you do. You actually decide how good the prognosis is going to be. You see, Jesus, the great physician, always gives a good prognosis. Always good for you. Even if it's, stop doing that, it's good for us. So, this, so as we close here uh, this morning, talking about the great physician, ask yourself, do I trust the prognosis of Jesus? What excuse do I have that's keeping me from trusting the prognosis of Jesus? Is it too expensive? Lord, you're asking way too much of me. Because it's going to require everything. Is it, it's not a priority? I forget because it's just not a priority. Maybe you have a personal opinion. Well, I know Jesus, that's what you think I should do. And, I, and I've, been, I've been shown Scripture, this is how I should handle this situation in my marriage, at work, or, or emotionally, or mental, or some issue. But I think I've got to... I saw something on the internet I think will work. Or you might say to yourself, and I've said this many times, I just don't think that... that I, don't, I don't see that. I don't see how that makes any sense. 
And I'm reminded, you're correct, you don't see. I just don't see the wisdom in that, Lord. I don't understand it. A lot of things that Jesus asks you and I to do, we may never understand, but they're good for us. Maybe it's the side effects. Yeah, if I do that, then this will happen. If I do, if I, if I follow that prognosis and follow that guideline, that could happen. Or I tried that one time and then I didn't, it wasn't fun and I want fun. And if it's, if it brings me pleasure, then I do it. But if it brings me inconvenience, eh, I'll reject it. Or maybe it's embarrassing. I don't want people to know I need Jesus. Never forget Rick Warren saying, somebody told him that he used Jesus as a crutch. He says, he's not my crutch. He's my iron lung. I thought, wow. We need Jesus. I need Jesus. It's not embarrassing. This this year we're doing at camp, uh, true and reasonable is the theme this year. And we're looking at uh, specifically at passages uh, where, where Paul once time said to Festus, I am not insane, most excellent Festus. What I'm saying is both true and reasonable. And we're going to be looking at Christian evidences. Even for a seven-year-old, we're looking at Christian evidences. And I, I already the board is very nervous about this because they're thinking, this is way over our heads. And I go, well, if you start reading some stuff, you might, might, you might find some great information. But one of the board members says to me, I just don't like that word insane. What? Does that word insane bother you? I don't think our children need to feel like they're insane. And I said, right. Well, let's see, let's see what the other translations say. I'm not out of my mind. I'm not crazy. I'm not mad. I said, you know what I noticed consistently in every one of those, what's that? The word not is in there. And that's what we're going to be teaching people. You're not crazy for believing this. Our kids are being told they're nuts for embracing this, guys. Uh, Elena Weiler gave me a book, recommended a book called Mama Bear Apologetics. I would encourage some Papa Bears too to get that book and devour it. I'm halfway through it and I'm blown away by it. How we've been subtly duped as a church thinking we can't answer any questions. We've got plenty of answers. Just got to be able to talk about it without losing our cool. Is it so? If God's and some of this stuff, you know, I don't even tell people I go to church. Why? Because it's embarrassing. It's going to sound like I need Jesus. The world needs to know there are people that actually believe that because it's true. Or maybe you just feel I feel okay now. I don't think I need it. What God has to say in my life. I had a relative that had cancer and he is saying, at, we're at a party, at his birthday party, and he's telling everybody, I'm over listening, hearing, I feel great, I feel great, I feel great. And someone leaned over to me, he'll be dead in two weeks. And he was dead in two weeks. Just because I feel something doesn't necessarily mean it's good. So let me ask you just this morning again. How are you... Do you have a good position in your life, I guess, and how are you treating that good position? Because He knows you already. And He knows the answer. And He's got a prescription that definitely works. 
There's a card in your, in your uh, bulletin if you want to fill that out. Maybe there's a decision or a prayer request you'd like to make. We're going to let you be able to do that as well as we close. I just want to encourage you, encourage you to know that Jesus wants to heal you so much that He came to this earth, took your disease, and by the wounds and the experience and all the stuff that He went through, His wounds are able to heal you this morning. God bless you as we, as we learn, as we learn together who Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, thank You for being such a good, good doctor. And Father, I just think there's a lot of quacks out there. There's a lot of people, you know, you wonder if they know what they're doing. We know You do. And Father, we know You're wanting to heal more than physical ailments. We know that there's, there's emotional and spiritual ailments that we have, Father, that You want to cure and You provide the remedy. Father, we pray we'll be open enough to let You examine us, that we'll welcome it, that we'll listen closely to Your diagnosis and trust, trust Your prognosis. Father, I know that um, this morning, um, Scott and Stacy have been attending this church and uh, Stacy, Scott is telling us this morning that she's got about two days left to live. Um, that's what they're giving her, about 48 hours. And it's just, it's gut-wrenching, Father, uh, to see this happen, to see what's going on there. But Lord, we pray that we'll, that you'll just, you comfort Scott, make Stacy comfortable as she's, as she's going through this, this doorway to you. And Father, we pray that, uh, we'll, we'll be supportive and helpful as they go through this. They know that there's a family, your family, that we can go through that with them. Father, we know death is inevitable. We know that. We know that probably an illness is going to do it, if not an accident. We know that's inevitable. And Father, it's just uh, it's a mixed bag of emotions that we feel when someone we love passes away. So Father, I pray you, you, you help Scott and his family just process through this. Provide for them, Father, the prescription that heals their brokenness right now. Help us listen to You. Help us turn to You, Father, whenever we're ill and find Your great healing. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.